Welcome, everybody. It's time once again for another episode of Funnel Radio. Right here in the Funnel Radio channel. For at-work listeners like you. Today, as always, we're privileged to have with us the founder of Funnel Radio. The man behind the funnel himself, Jim Obermeyer. Hey, Jim. Thank you, Paul. Paul Roberts is our announcer on the Funnel Radio channel. He's been my sidekick for the last 11 years for all programs on the channel. Today, we have Matt Hines. Matt Hines is the president and founder of Hines Marketing. He's got 18 years of marketing and business development experience. He's a very dynamic speaker, as you're going to hear in just a few moments. He's got a great sense of humor. He focuses on consistently delivering measurable results with greater sales, revenue, and product success. He's a repeat winner of the top 50 most influential people in sales lead management and the top 50 sales and marketing influencers. And he's the host of Sales Pipeline Radio on the Funnel Radio channel. Tell us a little bit more about Heinz Marketing before we get into this subject, why marketers are the builders of wealth. Well, thank you very much. I can't believe, I, it's funny, I on an episode, I think last week, I referenced that I thought we were close to 200 episodes of Sales Pipeline Radio, and I guess we're over that now. So it's uh, that has been an amazing adventure. And Jim, I have you to thank for that, for sure, for helping me sort of get over the hump and move into some new mediums. And it's been it's just been phenomenal for us. So yeah, no, it's crazy. 11 years, 11 years ago this month, hung up a shingle, just decided to do my own thing. And if you remember 11 years ago, it was November 2008. The market had just tanked. My wife is pregnant with our first child. So I decided, what the heck, let's give up your salary and try to do something on your own. And um, it's worked out all right. I'm very, very happy with the business we have. We've got an amazing team, got great clients. I get to do something that I love to do every day. And um, yeah, I feel very lucky and blessed to do it. Well, let's get into this subject today, why marketers are builders of wealth. I'm just going to turn this over to you, but I'd like to hear your opinion on this, especially as things have evolved in this last 12 years since you've grown this agency to be a very significant presence in Seattle and also nationally. Matt, the microphone's yours. This is a really interesting topic. I mean, you you came and said, I want you to talk on this topic. You had a headline in mind already. And I liked it because I think a lot of companies don't think of marketing as a builder of wealth. I think a lot of companies still think of and operate marketing as a cost center in the business. Marketing is given a budget from the CFO and they spend it arbitrarily. And the CFO may decide they you get less budget and it gets cut arbitrarily. And I think many marketers operate as the glorified arts and crafts department and therefore really act and perpetuate this idea that marketing is a cost center. I think, and this is partly why I think we've been in business as long as we have, is I think the opposite. I think marketing can be a profit center in the business. I think marketing has a direct responsibility for driving revenue. And if done well, marketing can have an exponential impact on wealth building in the organization. It's a different way of thinking about marketing than when most companies are used to. I think most marketers think about what we think of as the marketing of more, more clicks, more likes, more leads, more impressions. And more may not necessarily be better. Getting the most possible leads at the lowest possible cost may actually be counterproductive to what you're trying to achieve if you're trying to generate consistent business from the right companies. If you know which organizations are more likely to not just buy more efficiently, but stick with you longer and create more lifetime value, 
wouldn't you be willing to spend more money to bring on those higher lifetime value customers? So when I think of marketing as a builder of wealth, I think about it in a couple ways. One, marketing needs to have a mentality of being a profit center in the business. Two, marketing needs to develop and foster and reward a culture of revenue responsibility that isn't just closing deals, but is closing the right deals and driving real revenue value in the organization. And three, not all customers are the same. And your best customers that stick with you the longest that don't require you to go and replace those customers with new customers end up creating significant margin and profit opportunity. Marketing done well, marketing done the right way can generate not just sales, not just revenue impact, but significant profit for the organization they report to. I usually think of revenue generators as those people who generate leads. After all, 45% of all inquiries turn into a sale for someone Mm -hmm. and generate this outsized pipeline and sales for the company. What's your thought about the long-term versus the short-term capability of marketing? I think you hinted at it in the significant profit and the fourth one especially. What do you think about this attitude that marketing is the long-term generator of wealth, not just the short-term? Well, I think you have both opportunities. I think that there's a short-term opportunity to generate the right type of business into your organization. I think long-term, if you're able to really think about the long game, uh, whether it's for yourself as a marketer in your professional career, whether it's for your organization, and and I think it's easy to get caught in the fire drills of day-to-day week, quarter-to-quarter, like, hey, we got to get more leads to hit this month's number. We got to get more opportunities in to be able to sort of make Wall Street happy this quarter. That's all fine and good. You think about the difference between different brands. You think about like the price difference between a generic product and a branded product, that's marketing, right? And so your ability to charge more, your ability to keep customers longer, your ability to build, to build loyalty and lifetime value. And in most cases, the economics of building lifetime value and longevity of customer relationships means a higher margin like relationship. That's not something you do in the email next Tuesday. That's not something you do with growth hacking before the end of the week. So I think taking that long view from marketing to think about what do I do to make this week's number? I mean, I, I'm certainly, I, I have to think about this, right? I have to think about, okay, I've got payroll to make. And so I need to have enough business in down so that we're actually hitting our number and making payroll on a month on month basis. But I also have to think about what is this business doing three to five years from now? And how does the sales and marketing effort we're doing actually set us up to do that more efficiently, more scalably, and more profitably? And so I think as marketers, it's easy to get caught up in the urgent and important right in front of us. But if we don't think about the long-term impact on the business, then we're just going to be on that hamster wheel for a very long time, and it's going to be hard to get off. You've seen things change dramatically in the last five to 10 years. What do you think the tools are that a CMO can use to help grow the business? Oh, boy. I mean, we're talking well for the organization, right? Right. Yeah. I think um, I think one of them is certainly brand. You know, I think, and, and as B2B marketers, we tend not to think as much about brand as our consumer counterparts. Most B2B CMOs are thinking about sales pipeline contribution. They're thinking about marketing influence on closed business. And those are all important. But I think if you asked earlier about sort of the long view and taking the long-term impact, and I think that if you can build a brand that is known for something special and known for something unique to your customers, if you can create a brand that people want 
to spend time with. I mean, we think about how much sales and marketing we get that is interruptive. Like what could you do to make your company not interrupted, but irresistible to make your company something that people want to spend time with? That's not something you're going to do with a single blog post. That's not something that you're going to generate with a single random act of marketing. There's a body of work that has to go into making that happen and making that work. So I think the demand side of marketing is important. And demand can be done on a short-term basis if you have enough money. But your long-term efficiency of demand is going to be impacted by brand. Your long-term customer preference and customer and competitive differentiation is going to be built by brand. And those tools that you think create the best brand presence are what? The tools you start with is really just better customer understanding. Under, I mean, so, so I guess a spreadsheet, you know, um, sort of documenting like, what do you have that your competitors don't? What do you have that your customers need? What do you have that your customers can't do without? And if you look across other choices your customers have, what do you have that is unique and different? What do you have that is sustainably unique and different? Communication tools and channels, you start to get into, well, I could do this with my content. I could do this with my people. Every time someone in my organization has a conversation with a prospect is an opportunity to reinforce and deepen and build that brand. So the tools, I don't need to necessarily go buy new tools. You start with sort of a foundational common understanding of who you are and what makes you different. And then you ensure that every time you communicate with the market, whether it's your marketing or your salespeople or whatever it is, there's some consistency in how that's done. That's the starting point. And CRM and marketing automation, those kinds of tools are the the bedrock to do that, don't you think? I agree with you those become manifestations and tactical implementations of that brand strategy, right? I mean, every company we work with having CRM and having marketing automation are table stakes now to be able to manage and coordinate a consistent application of the right message. So the right prospect at the right point in the buyer's journey at the right time. So yeah, those are important tools. But I would say if you have those tools, which many companies do, and if you don't have a foundational understanding of who you are and why you're different and why your customers care, then it's going to be a mess. And I see lots of companies have consistent usage of CRM and marketing automation with inconsistent application of message and brand. And that's, that's a recipe for chaos. I've heard some people, I agree with you, by the way, and I've heard some people say, that it's the age of the database. Uh, a database, those who control the database control the futures. And I know you've believed in this from a marketing standpoint at Heinz Marketing. And how does a, how does a CMO create that? Because the database is a real long-term play. Mm-hmm. The database of prospects. Uh, if you sell to hospitals, you've got to nail down that 7,500 hospitals if you're Selling to doctors, you've got to nail down the 65,000 doctors that are in a specialty, and you've got to work those as well as your customers. So CMO that doesn't control the database doesn't control their future, don't you think, and doesn't control their wealth. Yes. If you don't have an accurate database of your prospects and customers, then you, got, you don't have a lot. I mean, you, how do you communicate with people, right? So it sounds like table stakes to say, Do I have an email address? Do I have a phone number? Do I have the right person? Do I have the right companies? So maintenance and hygiene of that database is extremely important. But 
knowing which companies need to be on that list and why is also important. Like, uh, let's, say, yeah. let's say you're a company that's selling into healthcare, or you're selling into hospitals. Should you be selling to every hospital? Probably not. Like, what are the attributes and characteristics of hospitals that are most likely to buy from you, that are most likely to have the problem that you solve? And then who are the people in the hospitals that are most likely to have a vested interest in solving that problem that are your decision makers and influencers to get the deal done? So just because I'm selling into healthcare doesn't mean I need every hospital. It doesn't mean I need every employee at every hospital to be in my database. But the better I understand what problem I'm solving for whom and then who has a vested interest in solving that and therefore giving me money to solve it, that helps me understand which parts of my database I need to keep up to date. So in, in a hospital database, using that reference, there's, I don't know, about five or 600 of the large hospitals, 1,015 up, 100 in the medium size, and then two or three, 4,000 in the small size hospitals. So if you're selling a particularly large system, obviously, into the hospital, you're going to probably go to the five or 600. Those are your prime hospitals. And then those departments within those hospitals, it's amazing how many companies just buy their list and willy nilly, everything's last minute that buy their list to do their direct marketing or to do their telemarketing. And it's always the last minute. They don't own the database. And it seems like the real generators of wealth have to own the database. Hey, Matt, we're going to have to take a quick break here from a, a word from our sponsor today. When we come back, let's talk a little bit more about the wealth. To a certain extent, I agree. I think some of these marketing departments are anywhere from two or three or four people. And then some departments are really quite large, but pound for pound, they're so much smaller than the sales departments. And yet they create all this unbelievable long-term wealth. I really think pound for pound, they create more than any sales force, but don't tell any any salespeople I said that. Paul, over to you. While there's no singular silver bullet to scalable revenue, there are strategies to improve the planning, coordination, and execution of the tactics to get you there. From Integrate and Heinz Marketing, read the Enterprise Playbook to account-based demand generation designed for enterprise marketing leaders to explore new ways to generate demand, convert leads, and scale revenue. Visit HeinzMarketing.com's resource section. That's H-E-I-N-Z Marketing.com and the resource tab for your free copy today. And now back to Jim and his guest. Thank you, Paul. It's nice to hear from our sponsors today. Matt didn't know his own commercial was going to be in there, but it is. So don't hesitate to look into Heinz Marketing, their system of pipeline support. Matt, let's talk a little bit more about my comments about the pound for pound. They create more wealth than any sales organization that they work for. Well, I think the leverage that marketing has is enormous. I think about, let's say you've got 100 salespeople in there in the trenches making calls and closing deals. A really good sales trainer, an individual, a single person training that sales organization on a new methodology or new closing tactics can have an enormous impact on the success of 100 people. So you think about, okay, like, do I invest in the sales trainer? Well, are they a quota carrying person? Are they going to help me close deals? No. But if that sales trainer could increase the, the efficiency of your entire sales organization by just 5% each over 100 people, that's worth way more than a single additional quota carrying salesperson, right? So I think marketing, if, if you're able to create the conditions that make it easier for people to buy, if you create the conditions that make it more likely that someone will actually answer the phone, if you create a brand 
that people recognize in your industry. And therefore, when you call or when your sales reps call, they recognize the brand, they recognize there's value in that brand, they're more likely to pick up the call. If you help your sales reps not just pitch, but provide value to the industry so that people want to take your call, people want to call you back, and you think about whether that impacts 10 reps versus 100 reps versus 10,000 reps, like the leverage marketing can have when they're doing this consistency consistently is enormous. And I think that there are many marketing organizations that are having that impact today that are doing a really poor job at communicating because their metrics are, here's my open rates and click rates on emails. And here's how much spent on new branded pens. And here's the 16 new pieces of collateral we gave to the sales organization. Those are tactics. And unless you tell a story, not just of what you did, but the impact it has, it's going to be tough for you to be able to justify incremental budget. It's going to be tough for you to be able to tell the story of that wealth you're building for the organization and not just get credit for it, but be able to, for the, for the organization, continue to build it and create a wider gap between you and your competitor. Is this all about using marketing technology to both sales and marketing in the company? I love the fact that most of this conversation has not mentioned technology at all, right? I think technology is not your strategy. Technology is an enabler of your strategy. So I think when you talk about sort of exponential impact on an organization, what you could do manually, technology can automate. What you could used to have to do with people, technology can do with robots. What you used to only be able to do like, you know, one off if you're following a strategy for a small number of prospects or a small number of customers, technology can now do infinitely with a level of consistency that humans would not be able to do. So at scale to reach the far reaches of wealth potential we're talking about here, I don't see how companies can do it without technology. But technology is a tool implementation of that strategy we've been spending most of this time talking about. So that technology is just a given, and then it's how they use the technology and whether they've got a marketing operations manager, similar to a sales operations manager in a company, to really use the technology to create the short and long-term wealth and to be able to predict where to spend the money. Isn't sales really getting into deep parts of pipeline management, sales enablement, content strategy? Marketing is getting into these areas where four or five years ago it was still in the, in the realm of the sales manager, probably. It's more than just that. We're seeing some inside sales teams and lead development reps, sales reps now report to marketing. So the function of following up with and qualifying inquiries to marketing is exists within marketing, not sales. We're seeing many marketing organizations, to your point, now go beyond the point of generating leads and even generating opportunities and creating the content and enabling the tools and the processes for the sales reps to be more successful. I think this is where you have those revenue responsible profit center marketers thinking beyond the bounds of traditional marketing, beyond the bounds of just generating the leads and thinking about how do I create value across the entire funnel not just the top of the funnel where marketing is traditionally focused. Do you talk about this a lot in the speeches you give? You're out there all the time speaking at marketing conferences and the Salesforce conference and, and the different, I've got a whole list of them here and too many to, <laughs> to relate today, but you really get into it with these marketing managers and tell them to get off their dead behinds and start taking responsibility for the revenue that they generate and start reporting back to, to management that they are builders of wealth and they're just not three or four people that are sending people off to a trade show or some kind of crap like that. They're actually making long-term decisions for the company. Do you talk about that very much? The short answer is yes. We talk a lot about 
revenue responsible marketing, what that means. We talk a lot about having a profit center mentality in marketing. And we talk about what that means, both strategically and tactically. We talk about the culture change that often requires inside and outside of market. We talk to a lot of marketers that say, this all sounds good, but this also sounds scary. You're asking me to now embrace something I don't have full control over. Or you're asking a sales team to trust that marketing is actually now <laughs> going to do something that helps sales versus just do whatever marketing has always done. We're asking board members, we're actually leadership teams to not just look at up into the right charts of lead volume, but to focus more on metrics that matter that may be less volume, but maybe more impactful. So yeah, we talk about this a lot and I can give people all kinds of reasons why it should happen. And I can give people a blueprint for how it should happen. But the reality is the biggest obstacle for most companies to embrace this is not external, it is internal. It is the status quo of market, what marketing has been. It's the status quo of how marketing has been perceived and measured. And it's navigating the path, the cultural path internally to help marketing really stretch its wings and have the cross-functional impact it can have to really realize its potential. Do you think 2020 is the breakout year for marketers to assume this responsibility? And I love the term profit center mentality. And I love the fact that you're talking about them assuming that role within the company, which becomes a personal decision each one of those people has to make and a realization that they are important to the company, yeah. far more important than they probably realize or realized when they went to college. I would say 2020 is a continuance of what we've seen the last two years. I think that since 2018, we have seen companies start to embrace or at least start to grapple with this idea of being revenue responsible. And it's not always an easy path just to navigate. And it's one thing even to get sort of internal alignment. And then, you know, look, the sausage making of marketing is never easy. And there's always sort of missteps as you go. And some of those missteps are interpreted as, well, this, I knew this was a bad idea. Let's go back to what we did before. Let's just put logos <laughs> on pens and be done with it because at least that was comfortable. At least that was familiar. I don't know that we're going to see necessarily a watershed moment in the next 12 months, but I think we have seen the last 24 months early adopters embrace this. I do believe over the next two to three years, we will see by the end of 2021, I believe we will have the majority of marketing organizations at least talking about this. They may not be good at doing it yet, but I believe forward-thinking marketing organizations and those that will have sustainability will be using this language and will be making progress towards this. I think those that don't are just going to continue to fight uphill for budget, for impact, and quite frankly, for respect. So do you think this is more of an attitude and a, a shift in... Uh, their personal goals and attitude rather than a shift in technology? I think it is a shift in perspective. perspective. I think it is a shift in attitude. I think it is a shift in strategy. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of the tools that companies have used, CRM, marketing automation, sales enablement tools, like those tools aren't necessarily going to change in terms of importance in the stack, but I think the way companies are using those tools will shift for sure. It doesn't mean you're not gonna capture leads anymore, but it means you're gonna focus on the right leads. It doesn't mean you're no longer going to care about CRM, but I think I don't care about all the data. As I mentioned before, I care about fast data, I care about the right data, I care about things I can take action on. Interesting. We've got about two minutes. Can you give listeners, CMOs, some personal advice? If somebody came to you and sat down in your office and said, how do I become a profit center? How do I get that mentality? How do I leap out of this 
organization I'm in or to assume control in this organization and become a profit center for my company, what, would, what advice would you give that individual? Start to put a bigger focus on metrics and strategies you can buy a beer with, right? It doesn't mean that clicks and likes and retweets aren't important. It doesn't mean that brand recall isn't important as I think we established earlier, but I think the metrics that you focus on that you teach your team to focus on had better be revenue responsible metrics. The other piece of advice I would give is go take your CFO to lunch and find out what he or she thinks is important in 2020. Go ask your CFO how much they would be willing to spend on a newly acquired customer. Sounds like a pretty simple question. Most CFOs don't have an answer because they've never really had been faced with having to come up with an answer. But if you can get to the point where you understand what a new customer is worth, where your CFO says a new customer is worth $100,000 to us in lifetime value, how much of that are you willing to spend to acquire that customer? They may not have an answer right away, but if you together can work on that answer, not only will they have more respect for you as the CMO as a business leader, but they will give you at the end of that conversation, at the end of that process, they should be able to give you a framework within which you can operate and say anything at and below that, go to town, go make money for the business. And yeah, you still want the lowest possible cost, but I don't care about how much emails cost. I don't care about what marketing costs. I care about what marketing is worth. And if you can figure out what the marketing's worth and put that into the context of the business, you now have the metrics and the levers to go create all the wealth we're talking about for every organization you're in. In the last minute or so we have left, Matt, can you give people some information on how to reach you and how to extend this conversation on how CMOs become the profit center for their company? How can Yeah, absolutely. Well, you can check us out at HeinzMarketing.com. That's H-E-I-N-Z, like the catch up marketing.com. We got tons of, tons of free content up there around this topic. You can reach out to me directly just at Matt, M-A-T-T, at HeinzMarketing.com. And one of the resources we have up on the website is um, a book I wrote a couple of years ago called Full Funnel Marketing. And it gets into a lot of the areas of, of moving from just focused on lead generation, top of funnel metrics, to having an impact on the entire funnel. It's a good primer, I think, on thinking about revenue responsible profit center marketing. Excellent. Excellent. And Matt, let's not forget your sales pipeline radio. You're on every week <laughs> at 11.30 a.m. on Thursdays. Yeah. And I can't wait to hear who you're having on this coming week. Matt Hines, I think you've answered the question why marketers are builders of wealth. And you've given me hope for the future that marketers will finally assume their rightful role as the builders of wealth for B2B companies. Matt Hines, thank you very much. Oh, thanks very much. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to another episode of Funnel Radio, the feature program on the Funnel Radio channel for at-work listeners like you. 